Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Malachi. We've been going through this Old Testament book, Malachi chapter 2. And you'll remember last time God was speaking directly to the priests, saying to the priests, you, the spiritual leaders of Israel, you yourselves have been leading lives which have not been glorifying me. You have been stepping away from the truth. And now he turns to the people as well. And let's hear what God has to say to the people this morning. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary or the holiness of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. We're going to be looking at that specific passage this morning. You desire to live a godly life, but it doesn't matter how hard you try, you seem to be constantly tripping over bad habits. You seem to be constantly embarrassed by weaknesses in your life. You seem to be under the continual slavery of those sinful habits which you'd hope you'd be free with after all these years of being a believer. The Apostle Paul summed it up so beautifully in Romans chapter 7. This is what he said, Romans 7.15. I don't understand my own actions. For I, I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You identifying with him? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you hear the frustration? Lord, how long do I have to carry on struggling as a believer? Elise Fitzpatrick in an excellent little book, Idols of the Heart, where I got this topic of the sermon from, speaks about microwavable holiness. I really liked it. Lord, give me microwavable holiness. You know, our, our microwaves are so quick and convenient, aren't they? You want to meet a, a meal heated up, when do you want it? Now. And so you put the, the numbers in there, press the button, and a minute or two later you have a heated meal. And sometimes I think we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, you should work in my life that way. Lord, just zap me and make me holy. And Lord, do it quickly, please, if you don't mind. You see, the Apostle Paul points to a deeper issue. And it's more than just a quick fix in his life. Every bad habit, every embarrassing weakness, every moral failure has at its foundation a specific sin called idolatry. And this is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, near where we were reading now. Now, if I do what I do not want, 
It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And that little word dwells mean that sin has pitched its tents in his life. It's taken out the barbie, it's put the camels out to water. It is there to stay. Why? Because he hasn't dealt with it. It is idolatry. It is putting something at the centre of one's life and replacing God with that sin. It dwells there. And that is exactly what the nation was facing in this book of ours of Malachi. God turns from the priests, those leaders who are supposed to have been taking spiritual leadership in the nation, those who themselves have been sinning before the Lord and causing their people to stumble by their example, and now God turns through the prophet to the people themselves. And he says to them, you also have violated my law. Not just by bringing your sick, your lame and your blemished animals to sacrifice before me, but also, says the Lord in this text we've been looking at this morning in verse 10, you have been faithless towards one another as members of the covenant people, verse 10. You've been faithless to God's covenant by marrying people outside of God's covenant people, verse 11. And what we'll look at next time, you've been faithless to the sacred covenant of marriage by divorcing your own wives to marry these foreign women, verses 13 to 16. And what's the result of this, says verse 12? These people were cut off by God. And the root of all the sin, idolatry, self instead of God. So let's go and look what we can learn from this passage. Yes, it was a message to the people of Israel, but the principles in it remain the same to this day. They are timeless principles until the Lord comes again. God turns to these people and he says, you want to worship me with your lame and your sick animals, says the Lord. And then on top of that, your relationships with each other as my covenant people are dysfunctional. Each deals treacherously, says our text, against his brother. In other words, you break your promises to each other, you tell your lies to each other, whether they're white or deep, dark, purple ones. You overcharge each other for land, for animals, for food. You are Jews, I know you are, and you know how to do business, but you backstab each other. You are my covenant people, says the Lord. Don't you all, as the nation of Israel, have one father? Who is your father? Yahweh, Jehovah, the Almighty God the one who started this nation in the first place. You are my people. And has not one God created you, says the Lord. You see, you don't even respect each other as fellow human beings made in the image of God, never mind being my own people. And then, says the Lord, you have the temerity to come to me and to want to worship me in my tabernacle when your relationships with each other don't even comply with my principles, my Torah I've given to you. You see, the problem was here in this passage, that the people had pushed aside God and his principles for them, and they started worshipping an idol there, the idol of self-indulgence. You all know that idol very well. It's the idol of me, myself, and I. My needs, my wants, my requirements, my time, my profit. And in so doing, they have broken faith or dealt treacherously, says our text, with each other as God's covenant people. That little 
phrase there, to deal treacherously, is a very interesting phrase. The Hebrew word for it is bagda, which literally means to pierce. And it refers to the Old Testament ritual where they would take a nail and drive it through a covenant document or through a tablet that an agreement was written on or whatever it was written on. They would take a a nail and symbolically drive it through and that way nullify that covenant. Now, put into brackets, think a little bit ahead in history. Think of the symbolism years later when men drove nails through the Son of God on that cross. What were they saying? From our side, we nullify this covenant. And they were doing that unknowingly. You see, but God, in his great love and his mercy, starts a new covenant at that same time when they break covenant with God, he starts a new covenant which would last forever until Jesus Christ comes again. And it would enfold those who would come to him and cry out for mercy to be saved from their sins. And when Jesus rose from that tomb, he defeated death and that new covenant was put in place. The prophet says here, by driving the nail, by dealing treacherously through your own interactions with each other, says the Lord, you are profaning or defiling the covenant of your fathers. Has much changed today. You see, as believers and Christians in our churches, we still hurt each other with our words, with our cold shoulders, with our selfish attitudes when we make decisions sometimes, with our turning a blind eye when we see obvious needs in front of us by ignoring other people and keeping to our comfortable little clicky groups. And the result, you know, people walk away. People walk away from our churches. And they walk away from the church disillusioned. They walk away hurt. They walk away burned because we haven't been looking after them when, and we've been overloading some people. And they try and exist as lone ranger, individual Christians. Spurgeon calls them coals outside of the fireplace. You'll definitely know some believers like that. You might even be one who's been through that process. You see, what have we done? We've broken the covenant with each other as those who have been bought by the same blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who together are bond slaves of Christ. And then when we get together to worship, we just ignore these things. God says, I will not accept your worship. In Matthew chapter 5, this is what Jesus said. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift right there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It's a very practical exhortation. And we should be doing that. We should not ignore those instances where there's a disagreement between us as believers. We should sort it out. We shouldn't leave it because Satan will make that stuff grow and it will cause splits. We need to deal with it. God says, don't worship the idol of self-importance and selfishness. Offer me true, true worship by staying in covenant with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Secondly, we see in verse 11 that they were breaking covenant with God. You see, God says, there's another thing you do, says the Lord. Judah, you tribe of Judah, you have dealt treacherously. We've looked at that phrase already. You've driven a nail through the covenant I have with you. And you have, there is an abomination that has been committed in Israel. An abomination was a, such a great defiling sin that it breached the covenant and it cried out for judgment. There is an abomination that has been committed in Israel. You as a nation, says the Lord. Not just you tribe of, Israel, of Judah, but you as a nation, says the Lord. And in Jerusalem, that place supposedly set apart for exclusive worship of God, including you priests, you've also done this, all of you, says the Lord, have profaned the sanctuary or the holiness of the Lord. What holiness here? Your holiness as a people of God, says the Lord. And also the very place and the act of worship which the Lord loves. You have created an abomination. And how have they done this? There was a very specific thing that the Lord points to in verse 11. He says, you have married the daughter of a foreign god. Now I'm going to stop right there and clear up something which has been misused for many times during history. It's not speaking race here. He was not saying you are only allowed to marry a Jew. And as a South African, I'm only allowed to marry a South African. And as Kiwis, you're only allowed to marry Kiwis. He's not saying that. This, this text has been misused by so many already in history. It means, you see, this nation of Israel was com compiled of a mixed bag of people who left Egypt. The Jews left, but some Egyptians left with them. And other nations joined them on the way as they were traveling. But, listen to this please. All of them had submitted to the ethos of Israel and to the God of Israel. They had submitted to the circumcision, to the sacrifice, to keeping the Passover and to the principles of Torah, which God had given to the nation. And the Israelites were allowed to marry any of those people except, and there was one very clear one, except for the Canaanites. They were not allowed to marry the Canaanites, very explicitly. Otherwise, God's people were free to marry any person. Brown, white, yellow, black, purple, didn't matter. As long as that, as that person had submitted to and was practicing Jehovah's ways, and they'd become part of Israel, now here's the key word, first. They first had to be part of that nation. And instead, what were the, these people doing? The men, specifically the men of Judah, God speaks to them, they were literally choosing wives from the heathen tribes around them. The Bible calls them daughters of the foreign tribes. That, that word daughters, not just referring to those women specifically, that word daughter means someone who bears the characteristics of a deity other than the true God. They are daughters of. In other words, they are, are idolatresses. They were marrying these women. And by all accounts, if you go and read Ezra chapter 9 and Nehemiah chapter 13, this practice seems to have been very widespread in Israel after the exile. They just returned from exile and they were doing this. And that is why God climbs into them. Even the son of the high priest was committing this. 
Now, we're going to step back a little bit more and look at marriage in the Jewish context because we need to understand something here. You see, in, in the Jewish context, those of you who've watched Fiddle on the Roof, you'll understand this real you know, clearly. It was a really good movie there. The father had to choose a suitable daughter for his son. In his case, a son for his daughter. But it doesn't matter. The father had to choose. And God says here, God as your spiritual father in the Jewish context, I have the responsibility and the right to choose a wife for you, Judah, and to arrange for the marriage. That is God's responsibility to the nation. However, what did Judah do? Judah had chosen a foreign wife, one outside of Israel and with a different religious background. And these people had married them, joined, they'd been joined together with the heathen, directly against God's very, very clear principles. Now, something else we need to understand about the Jewish marriage context. When the son got married, he would bring the girl into his father's house, the Fanau, okay? And they would be joined together in an extended family. So you wouldn't, like we do in the Western world, go and live with your wife in your own little place somewhere else. You would come and join your father's house and they'd build another bit to the house. But to see, the problem was here that as Judah was bringing these foreign women to stay with them, these women were bringing with them their beliefs, their idols, their gods, and their forms of worship. And God knew that this would happen. And these heathen wives were setting the tones in their homes. And those of you who are married, you'll know, husbands, you might leave the home, but your wife sets the tone. She sets her stamp on that home. That's what women do in the home. And here these women were coming and setting their stamp on their homes. And they were forcing their husbands, their Jewish husbands, to also worship their heathen gods together with the God of Israel. And this was directly in contradiction to the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, what they were doing was they were importing a godless lifestyle into Israel and they were desecrating the covenant of faithfulness with God and they were pushing these people into compromise in their worship. God had warned them about this. Turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. What does God say to the Israelites about marrying these foreign women? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 to 4. You see, look at the dangers here. Furthermore, says the Lord, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Why? Here's the reason, verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will quickly destroy you. You see, God knew the danger. And so he prohibited his people from marrying these women. And yes, they had very good reasons. Human reasons were very good. Remember, they just come back from exile and they were trying to reestablish themselves. And so, yes, there might have been good political reasons to marry a woman from another tribe. Or there might have been good economic reasons. But her field is right next to mine, and if we join the two together, we can make more money for the Lord. Their reasons were very good. 
but they were completely against God's directives. And that's why they were wrong. And what was the result of this? General apostasy. The nation turned to apostasy. They were turning away from God. And, and this was the reason they'd gone into exile in the first place. And here they were doing it all again. It's much changed today. God's principles for Christian marriage remain the same today. We are to marry as believers. We are to marry inside the covenant. That is, only those who are yoked to the same Lord. True believers. As a Christian believer, we are free to marry anyone. Red and yellow, black and white, it doesn't matter. Maori, Pakia, Chinese, Pacific Island, New Zealand, American, even Zimbabweans. You can marry them. However, however, they must be born again. They must be in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, don't be tempted to take shortcuts and settle for second best. You see, in God's economy, there is no second best. Second best is disobedience. It's that clear. So you either obey or disobey. Now, I see some teenagers around. I want you to sit up and listen to me. Make a promise today with God. Make a pact today with God that will save you from sinning before Him. Are you listening, teenagers? Promise God today. Promise Him this. I will never allow myself to fall in love with an unbeliever. I'll repeat that. I will never allow myself to fall in love with an unbeliever. And I know how love works. You fall in love. But don't allow yourself to fall in love with an unbeliever. No matter how handsome, no matter how beautiful or clever or talkative or well-off or well-healed or well-endowed they are. Don't fall in love with an unbeliever if you are a believer this morning. Don't ever go the next step and marry that person if you are not a believer. There is a cost to pay. Why? Because you are disobeying Almighty God. And we'll get to what he says about that. I already hear the objection in my ears. But if I go out and marry them, I can influence them with God's word. Have you heard that before? I've heard it plenty. I can influence them with God's word. I can win them for Christ. Paul says we must do that. This is an evangelism opportunity. Yes, Paul does say that an unbelieving spouse can be saved by the consistent testimony of a believing wife or a husband. But the context of what he said there was inside existing, existing marriage already. You see, the context here is two unbelievers. One comes to faith, and now she's got an unbelieving spouse, or he's got an unbelieving spouse. And so what do you do? You don't get divorced because of that. No, you stay with that person, and you live out a godly lifestyle in front of them, and you look to the Lord for His grace and His mercy, and in His mercy and His grace, He might save them. But this is no excuse to enter into a relationship with an unbeliever. Never, never, never 
says, Christ, says the Bible. We've got no excuse. You see, Second Corinthians says it like this. Listen carefully to this. I'm still speaking to you young people. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You bear the light in you, and now you want to join yourself to darkness. What agreement has the temple of God, here it is, with idols? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. Here's the reason why. In the fear of God. Fear the Lord more than mankind. And you see, instead of trying to find loopholes in God's word that you can get through, the question that you should rather be asking yourself is, who do you hold in awe the most? God Almighty or the idols of your heart? That's the real issue. You see, whenever we try and excuse our behavior or deliberately to go against the clear teaching of God's word, we have erected an idol in our hearts and we are bowing down to it. Something else has taken the place of God and we are giving our lives to it. This is serious business. This is a takeover. And instead of Christians trying to duck and dive from God's word, we as believers should be shouting out the holiness of marriage from our rooftops. And yet we strangely quiet. But this text goes further. The implication of this text is much wider than just marriage. So those of you who are not teenagers, here's your application. This text widens out to all our actions, our habits, our desires, our goals, our aspirations. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are these aspirations, are these habits and desires, are they more important to me than simply obeying God and having God in charge of my life in totality? And if so, there's an idol in your heart. And you need to deal with it. Because disobedience has repercussions. We come to those repercussions now in verse 12. What does he say here? Malachi chapter 2 verse 12. This is what he says. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. You see, Scripture says here of the people of Israel, the prophet says, if you are disobedient to the Lord in this regard, you will be cut off. That word they use here in the original Hebrew is karat. You will be cut off. You will be scraped off. You will be blotted out, is the literal translation. And you will be blotted out from what? From the tenth of Jacob. From the fellowship and the covenant blessings that come with being a nation of the Lord. And therefore, by implication, you will be cut off from a relationship with God, says the prophet to the people. And further, this covenant curse extends to all those, look at your text, who awake and answer. Now, when you look at that phrase, it's an idiomatic expression which means to all those who see these sinful actions, they see these people going into these marriages and they say nothing about it, they ignore it. God's curse will rest on you too. Because you should be looking after your brothers and your sisters who are part of the covenant with you. And it extends to those who actually go ahead, marry these women, and then come before me and worship me as if nothing's wrong. God won't notice. 
God says, I will cut you off. You see, when we as human beings live our daily lives before the Lord with idols in our hearts, and we think we can just continue as we are, God's word says we will be cut off from a vibrant relationship with the Lord. You know, when you've been praying and it seems as if your prayers hit the ceiling and there's no one there, look into your heart, ask the Spirit to show you in your heart, there will be sin there that is keeping you at a distance from having a relationship, a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Yes, you are still saved, but you are living in sin. Once the Lord has got hold of you, He will never let you go. That's a promise from Scripture. Don't believe Satan when he says, you've sinned too much, now God's going to cut you off. No. Once you are saved, you will always be the Lord's. But you are living in sin, and that needs to be dealt with. And how do you do that? You come and you fall on your knees before the Lord, and you say, Lord, forgive me. I've been bowing myself to this idol. I now want to cut it down in front of you. Lord, do your surgery in me, and may I live a life of repentance and dependence on you alone, Lord Jesus Christ. David put it so beautifully in Psalm 51. This is what he said. He starts his psalm with this little word, Restore to me. In other words, he's lost something. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And how is that to happen? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, come before the Lord. Yes, you've committed those things. And yes, you might have taken the wrong actions. But come before the Lord and bring that idol before him and say, Lord, cut it down. I don't need it. I don't want it in my life anymore. You see, the challenge of this passage this morning is saying to us, there is no compromise in the Christian life. And you will hear that word often, and you will see it in various forms, where you are being told to compromise your faith. It's not so bad. There is no compromise. You see, Jesus demands nothing less than our undivided love and worship of him. This is what he said to us, the greatest commandment ever. This is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. All means everything. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus' own words. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, do I love Jesus Christ with everything that I am? Or are the other loves in my heart that are clamoring for my attention? Do some business with the Lord this morning. Is there something else in you which is asking for God's atten- for, for your attention when all your attention should be on the Lord. Do I think about God continually? Do I stop and find myself, I've been thinking about God. Or do I think of God only infrequently, only when I want something or need something, then I'd better pray, I'd better come to the Lord. I'm sick, Lord, and that's the only time we kind of think of the Lord. Do I meditate on God? Do you meditate on his character. When last have you meditated on God and His character, on His holiness, His goodness, His love, His truth? Or is your mind filled with that next check, what I'm going to spend it on, the new car, 
the holiday coming up. Do I esteem God? Do I give Him the honor due to Him? Or do I value other things in my life? You see, God has given us everything we need for life and what? God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us every tool we need to fight. He's given us every tool we need to get rid of these idols and to grow in grace. What are some of these resources? Firstly, and most preciously of all, He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ. Our great advocate, the one who atones for our sin, who paid for it, the one who frees us from their sin's hold on us, and the one who even now is praying for us. Do you hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you bow down to that idol in your life? He's given us His Holy Spirit. He who indwells us and who guides us into the truth and who points out these sins in our lives. And we tend to want to turn the other way. He's given us the Spirit. Are you sensitive to the work of the Spirit in you? You see, God has poured out His, He's poured out His sovereign grace on you and I. A grace that enables us to desire to do His will. His grace enables us to desire. We can't do it on our own. His grace does it in us. So that we become pleasing before Him. He's given us His word of truth. The scriptures, the Bible, the truth that illumines our hearts to the wisdom that God has given to us. And the truth that changes us. And why has God done all this? For his own glory. Jesus said this. Listen to his words. If you abide in my word. Now that little word abide is an interesting one. It's the same as the word dwell. If you camp out. If you pitch your tents. Put up the barbie. Put out the camels to water. If you abide in my word. Spend time in it. Think upon it, dwell on it. Then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And that little word know is a doing word. It is a verb. It means you will obey the truth. And if you do that, the truth will set you free. If we keep to the truth of God's word, doesn't matter what our circumstances are, doesn't matter what wrong decisions we've made, if we keep to God's word, He will find a way through those with us, through His Word. We need to trust God at His Word. He is the faithful one. And we sang earlier, would you be free from your burden of sin? Is that the cry on your heart today? Have you got idols in your heart? Would you be free from those idols? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you over victory, would you over evil a victory win? There's power in the wonderful, powerful blood of Christ. Have you come to Jesus with those idols? We need to go home from here today and go and do business with the Lord and ask Him, Lord, is there anything that's coming between me and you? Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. Believe those words. Trust those words. Would you do service for Jesus your King? You see, so many times we go out and we try and do service, but there's still stuff in our lives that needs sorting out before the Lord. And then we wonder why there's no fruits to what we're doing. We need to bring it before the Lord, because if we don't, 
All our works before him are as stinking rags, says scripture. And so the ultimate question this morning as we end is this. Do you love Christ first in your life? First in your life. Above all people, above all things. Is there any desire, any one desire or longing or object or activity that you aren't willing to sacrifice and to give up to God? If you say yes to any of that, there's an idol that's been identified and you need to deal with it and have God through His Spirit take it away from you. Because otherwise you will not see any more spiritual growth in yourself. Be washed by Jesus and His blood daily. Joshua said it in words that I can only quote. And this is the direct challenge from God's word to you this morning. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers and the idols or the living God. Choose this day. And I specifically put God's word here in an X as a symbol of choose this day between serving the Lord and his word or ask God to chop those idols down in your life. Put away the idols of your heart because they only bring honor to Satan. And come back to your first love. The one who gave himself for you and surrendered his life for you. Surrender your all to Jesus. No compromise. Christ laid down his life for you. Will you lay down your idols for him? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, this word from the prophet Malachi to the nation of Israel was a harsh and a hard word. But Lord, it came down to the very heart of the issue that they had idols that they were putting up and erecting and bowing down and worshipping before you, Almighty God. And Lord, you dealt with them. And now, so many thousands of years later, we have that same word in front of us. And we know it was written to them, Lord, but you are the same God who, do- who doesn't change. And you still hate sin. And you still hate idolatry. Because you say, worship only one God, and that is me. And Lord, we have to admit that before you, we sometimes bring so many things into our lives that take center stage. So many things which quickly clamor for our attention. And then we push you into the background. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. And I ask that you would deal with us all here today. May not one person leave this auditorium today without dealing with the idols in their hearts and finding again that peace which you can give when you take away sin and you replace it with your goodness and your word and your truth. Lord, do a work with us, we pray. 
And if there are any here today who still don't know you, Lord Jesus Christ, who are still worshipping the idol of themselves, and in that process giving Satan glory, we pray, Lord, that they would turn to you today. Today is the day when you have called out to them and the message of your gospel goes out and says, Come, come to me and you will find forgiveness of sin and you will find rest. Come. Do a work with us, we pray. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.